Well, good morning, Harvest. It's a rainy good morning. I'll take it, though. I understand. My name is Braxton Brady. I'm the family pastor here. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, I'm actually Kenan Vaughn's offensive coordinator, so that's just, you can go by that title. He's, he's the, real, the real guy. I just run the play as he uh, calls it and try to advise him every now and then. But it's really exciting to be with you. We've been in the last couple of weeks in our Harvest DNA series, as you can tell on the screen. Uh, Kenan has done an incredible job of talking about what it means to be gospel-driven and then what it means to be a disciple-making church. And uh, I could not have been more fired up after last Sunday hearing he and Josiah kind of throw out the plan of what it looks like for us to make sure that we can get everybody here in a disciple-making relationship and seek to send you out to be disciple makers. I thought it was the clearest presentation uh, I've heard in a long, long time, and I was super fired up uh, about that. And so today, we're going to talk about one of our values, which is family. And if you would, if you'll open up your Bibles to Psalm 78, it's a historical psalm. Uh, It's associated with a guy named Asaph. He was a a Levite who was a musician uh, who worked in the service of David. And this will be our challenge for our body of believers for this next generation. And if you've been around this place at all, it doesn't take more than about five seconds to see the next generation running around the hallways. You've heard me crack jokes, you've gotten emails, we have implored you to help, so it doesn't doesn't take long for you to see that this next generation is coming. And if you read anything in the last year or two, you will see very clearly the statistics show that kids are growing up in the church and then when they get 18, they're out. They want no part of it. And so it's our responsibility as the body of believers to tell this next generation, and this is what Psalm 78 is gonna do for us this morning. It's gonna give us a call, it's gonna give us a command, it's gonna give us a hope. And so I want you to, to look at it with me, starting in verses one and two. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. So the first thing that we get in verse one is a call. A call to listen and to obey. And look at the language in verse one. Give ear. It's not just hearing, it's listening with obedience in mind. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Incline like, get in here close, there's something important I need to tell you. The only analogy that I could think of to use a family analogy is, the only time that I really knew I was in trouble was when somebody said my full name. Is anybody there with me? Like if I just heard Braxton, all right. If my mom said Braxton Dale Brady, I'm like, yes, ma'am, what do you need? Or I was in some serious trouble, one of the two. But that's kind of the the wording here that we see. It's like, get in here close. I've got something really, really important to tell you. And then in verse two, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Now you have to read this in context. The first eight verses of Psalm 78 is really kind of an introduction and a challenge, but in order to really understand what's about to happen, you've got to read the rest, and especially as you get towards the end 
of Psalm 78, you'll see this reminder, this parable, this story of meaning of, you need to remember what has happened in Israel. And if you look in Deuteronomy, and you look in Joshua, and you look in Judges, you look in Judges chapter two, verse 10, the first generation that grew up in the promised land, you know how they're defined? There arose another generation who neither knew the Lord or the work that he had done. And they grew up in the very land that God had promised them. And so the rest of Psalm 78 is is just proof. Starting at the end of verse eight all the way through, we just hear over and over and over again, you need to remember the past. And remember, these people are not unlike us. They've seen it with their eyes. They've heard it with their ears. And yet, they're defined as a generation that didn't know God or the works that he had done. And so the second thing that we see in verses three through six, if you look at it with me, is a command. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. And so we see this challenge, this command to tell this next generation about who God is and what he's done. And you can see, take note in verse four, we will not hide them from our children. It almost sounds crazy that that verse is even in there, that we would actually hide the things of God, that they would actually hide the things of God from the next generation. I mean, nobody, I, I, don't, I don't do this to my kids. I'm not gonna say at the end of my life, hey, uh, kids, uh, good luck. Uh, I've got a will, and, uh, but I've hidden it in the state of Montana. I'm not really gonna tell you where it is, but I've hidden it there. Good luck, we're all counting on you. I'm not gonna hide their inheritance from them. That would just be insane. So to think about that simple, stupid analogy and take it to the whole next level about the things that are most important in our lives, the things of God, who he's done or who he is and what he's done, we're not gonna hide those things, but instead it is our calling and not just an individual calling. It's not just dads because we know we live in a sinful, broken world where homes are broken, where dads are not in the picture. It's our job as a corporate body of believers to do everything that we can to remind this generation on a daily basis about who God is and more importantly, what he's done for them. We have to do that. That's our command. So what what are we supposed to remind them of? Well, I think there's two things and we see them in scripture. First, but in verse four, to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We have to teach them the works of God. And in order for us to teach them the works of God, they have to see that we're very aware of the works of God in our own lives. I say all the time, uh, I, I don't know that this happened, I can neither confirm nor deny, but I think I would have loved to have been at the dinner table with Abraham and Isaac. 
Can you imagine the dinner table conversation with Abraham and Isaac? Hey, Dad, you remember that time you tied me up? You had that knife over my chest? You remember that? Uh, yes, son, I was there. That's kind of the Brady conversation goes. Yeah, I was there. But you remember what he did? You remember, Dad? He provided a substitute. You remember that? Yeah. Man, it was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. They get all, all excited. They're fired up. That'd be the best dinner table conversation ever. Now, I say that to say, when is the last time you've had an exciting conversation at your dinner table about who God is and what he's done? Even the simplest of things that God has provided for you and your family. And how many times do we remind our children of that? Because if they don't see it there, they're going to be under the impression that they are in control. And that it's all because of you or them. Instead of us pointing them to the one who is the creator of all things. And who has blessed us and given us and most importantly saved us. And so that's the first thing, is that we've got to teach them the works of God. The second thing is we've got to teach the word of God. I think one of the greatest convictions of my life is how much useless information I possess. There was a point in time when I could have told you, starting in about 1985, all the way through the mid-90s, the national champion in college basketball. Yes, just for Pace's sake, 1988, Kansas. Okay, I I, I bailed Pace out right there. But I could tell you that. That got me nowhere. My kids could care less if I could spout off that meaningless information. One of the greatest convictions of my life is how much time I wasted filling my mind with useless information and not filling it with this so that I could convey to my children the story of God, who he is, and what he's done. So we have to teach them the works of God. They have to see that. We have to teach them the word of God, which means that we have got to make sure that there is time in our busy schedules for this. It has to be the priority. Not only does it have to be the priority, but you as the parent and we as the body of believers have to teach this next generation not only the truth of Scripture, but how it applies to their daily life. They see more of that. They see more of that in your life. Trust me, I'm around kids every single day. They see more of that and pay attention more to that than any deep theological truth that you could teach them. They wanna see, what does it mean to live for Jesus today? What does it mean to live for Jesus when my brother slaps me in the face? Or maybe that doesn't happen in y'all's house, but nevertheless, uh, whatever parent analogy you wanna use, I will tell you this. Three most important men that have had the biggest effect on my life. One was my father. The other two guys, the, the thing that I learned the most, a guy named Tom Marino, who's my youth director, a guy named David Montague, who is a, um, runs Memphis Teacher Residency now, but was just a regular old businessman when he discipled me. The two things I learned from them was how to apply biblical truth to everyday life. It is a corporate responsibility for us to do that. Then last but not least, 
in verses seven and eight, we find a hope. What's the goal, essentially? End of verse six, arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the hope is there, three things, right there in verse seven. One, that this next generation should put their hope, faith, and trust in God and not the things of this world. If you don't, if you don't understand right now that we are in a battle for the next generation's brain, you're missing out. Because by the time a kid turns 12 now, the latest statistics say they've seen about 8 million images. And I can tell you right now, trust me on this, because I've seen the good and the bad. You do not want your son or daughter to shape their view of godly manhood and godly womanhood from those images. And so it is our responsibility to step in and step up and say, this is what it means to live life as a godly man. This is what it means to live life as a godly woman. And I'm gonna show you that as well. And then I'm gonna put you in a place, in a body of believers, where you can see it from people other than me, because everybody understands the life of a teenager. They don't want to talk to you anymore. They don't like you. They don't for a period of time. So they're looking for other people to see it in. And so then it's apparent, you can say, I told you so. I was right, trust me. But they wanna see it. They wanna see it in different husbands. They wanna see it in dad, different dads. They wanna see it in their youth director. They wanna see it in their youth leaders. They wanna see it, the, the most exciting thing I can ever have is for my kids to sit over there and listen to Ken and every single Sunday preach the word. Because they hear it from me all the time. But man, they get fired up, especially my boys, when they get to talk to Kenan and see Kenan. And so I want our body of believers to be that, to point our kids to put their hope, faith, and trust in God. The second is that they'll remember the works of God. Our hope is that our next, this next generation remembers the works of God. I, I, I'm always excited. We, Carrie and I talk about, my wife Carrie and I talk about this all the time because we were here at day one. And I don't want our family to ever forget what it was like here day one, that God has been so gracious to us and to remind them of what it looked like to, to live and serve and love the body of Christ and just see what God is doing and just to hear the stories. And so we, we have to remind this next generation about the works of God. And then last but not least, as a response to putting our hope, faith, and trust in God to keep the commands, the end of verse seven. So that this next generation will know who God is, know what he's done, put our hope and faith and trust in him through the finished work of Christ, and now go and live a life of following Christ and loving him because they want to, not because they have to. Because they've seen it in you. They've seen it in me. They've seen God at work. And now they want to go and live for him. They want to go and make disciples of all nations. They want to hear somebody from Spain talking and say, you know what? I'm in. Give me a summer out, out in college. I'll take my summer and I'll go. There's a need. I see it. I want to meet it. That's what this next generation needs to be about. And it's our responsibility as the body of believers to do that. 
I, uh, I was watching yesterday, my oldest son Preston and I were watching the, the world championship uh, of track over in Beijing, China. Uh, neither one of us, obviously, are track athletes, but we like to watch people run, um, which is, is good. And so it was, it was hyped as this battle between Jamaica and the United States. And obviously, uh, one team has the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt, but the last meet that had occurred, it wasn't in the world championships, but the last meet, the United States had actually beaten uh, this team. And so it was hyped up as a big race. As the gun went off, the U.S. was in the lead, rounded the curve and was in the lead, made the third pass, and then it got to the final pass. And if you know anything about track, there's only a certain zone that you can hand the baton off in. And if you ever go back and watch it, it's, it's, it's a brilliant uh, the camera work because the, the guy that is the third guy is passing off to the anchor leg and you can see that he's not going to get there. And you can see that he's getting closer and closer to the zone and when he gets to the line of the zone, you can see his face completely change because he knows disqualified. And you can just see him and when he hands the baton, he's almost got a grimace on his face because he realized it was too late. It was too late. The baton had been passed too late. And I had a completely different analogy ready this morning until I saw that. And I thought to myself, that is what we as a church need to have in our minds. That we have to pass the baton early to this next generation. Now they interviewed Usain Bolt afterwards who who won because he's the fastest man on the planet, but also he had about a 10-yard lead as well. And they interviewed him, and he said, you know what? It's really just one goal. Just get the baton around the track. That's all he said. Wasn't about running fast. He just said, we just got to get the baton around the track. That's all we needed to do. And I think that's what we're called to do. To this next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, to remind them of who God is, what he's done. Remind, remind, remind. So how do we do that here at Harvest? Kenneth's gonna, not gonna be happy with me because I'm gonna quote somebody from Alabama and not Auburn. How do we do that practically here at Harvest? Well, the great football coach Bear Bryant says it's not about X's and O's, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's. It's not so much about the plan, but the people that are playing or implementing the plan. And so I thought it would be a great thing for you to hear from our Jimmys and Joes. Or I don't know what the female version of Jimmy or Joe would be. Jimena and Joes, whatever. Uh, I want you to hear our plan from birth all the way through college. Because I think you need to understand how intentional we want to be to partnering with you as families. And so we're gonna literally start from birth and go all the way through college. I'm gonna let each of them share with you a couple of minutes about how we want to be very practical and intentional here at Harvest. So the first person is is Tracy Hansler. Tracy is um, in charge of all of our early childhood stuff and is also our mom's ministry coordinator. Um, she is fantastic. 
You need to get to know all of these folks. She's going to share with you for the next couple of minutes about what it looks like from birth up until about uh, age three, four, five. So I'm going to let Tracy come up and share. Good morning. I just want to start by saying what a blessing it is to be a part of our emerging mother's ministry as well as a part of our exploding children's ministry. Um, this summer we've spent a lot of time in prayer asking God to show us what his plan would be for Harvest Kids from conception to college. And so this morning I'm going to go over the early childhood portion of it. Hold the mic closer. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go over the early childhood portion. Uh, our goal in the early childhood years is to provide a rock-solid biblical foundation for our children. This means that we're going to be intentional in everything we do back in Harvest Kids. So starting with our expecting moms, we're now getting together every other month. It's a great time for us to come together. We're sharing, we're learning, we're praying together. And we're asking our experienced moms to come in and disciple our new moms. And it's just been a very special time. The next thing we do is baby dedication. This is a time when our uh, new parents come in with staff and family. And we talk about the parents' responsibility in providing a spiritual foundation for their children and love for the Lord. We also talk about how family, friends, and church members have a responsibility to come alongside the parents and partner with them in this pursuit. Then it's time for the nursery. It's when um, the kids get to come back and to harvest kids. And for a lot of parents, this is going to be their first time that they've ever left their children. So for some parents, this is going to be a very exciting time. For some parents, this is going to be a scary time. But we want you to know that we're going to be with you every step of the way. Now, having said that, that this is a good time to bring up all the rest of us, those of us that are post-little ones or pre-little ones, you have an opportunity to come back to Harvest Kids and serve and be blessed by our little ones. Um, we have a great program back there, and we are constantly improving. This summer, we were able to purchase toys, all with very intentional purposes. Children learn through play, and so we want to play well with intentionality. We have a playground that I'm sure a lot of you have seen that we are so excited and can't wait to get out there and use. Uh, we have curriculum starting at infants through preschool. So at every stage, your children are going to be prayed over, taught, loved, and just, uh, like I said, instilling that biblical foundation from the start while having fun. Um, we, like I mentioned the playground. We have a new state-of-the-art electronic check-in system, which is really efficient and great and everybody's going to love. We have schedules in all the rooms starting at two, on, two and up. We have centers and stations in our preschool rooms that are going to help us to focus and, again, be intentional in those classrooms. And all of this is going to be rolled out September 13th, and there's a lot more. So I encourage each of you, whether you're already serving back there or considering serving, or if you're a parent, we would love for you to come tonight to training at, uh, Harvest Kids training at 4 o'clock in the fellowship hall where we'll go into a lot more detail about all of this. So thank you very much. I, before I introduce uh, Kevin, I just want to thank, because he's in here, uh, Spence Ray was the guy that led the building and construction of our playground. So, Spence, thank you very much. I appreciate you very much. 
And of course it rained today, right? Of course it did. Of course it did. Uh, the next guy I want to introduce you is our children's pastor. I like to call him the man behind the email. In case you, some of you will get that joke. Because uh, he, he sends out emails trying to get people to help for all a variety of different things. We could not run this place without this guy. Uh, he is absolutely unbelievable. He's a dear friend of mine. And he is our children's pastor. He's going to talk about uh, the question that I get probably the most is, what are you teaching? What are we teaching back there in Harvest Kids? So I want Kevin Furness to come up and talk to us about what we're teaching back there. All right, good morning. Um, I've been asked to talk about a little bit of biblical framework is our goal for elementary age kids. And what, that, what we want that to be is we're using a curriculum that runs chronologically through the Bible from the Old Testament. Um, there's, I think, 75 lessons. In the New Testament, there's 75 lessons. And, and the goal in that is, is I remember growing up in church, I can remember the story of Jonah and the whale or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all those the most fun stories, but don't really remember the Bible. Um, just remember random stories. So the hope in doing this is, is in kindergarten, you would start, all the classes would start in lesson one. We're gonna restart it on September 13th. And they're gonna work their way all the way through the Old Testament one hour and the New Testament the other hour. And then once we're through, then it'll flip flop. So the goal would be is, is from the time your child went from four years old, five years old to all the way entering middle school, they will have walked through the Old and New Testament two to three times. Um, so the hope in that is that they're able to see, um, see Christ all the way from the Old Testament all the way to Revelation and not just random stories. So if you are, if you're here every week, um, even if you miss a few, I mean, your child's gonna just, I think there's 25 lessons just out of Genesis. So it's just a, a curriculum that allows us to walk chronologically through it. Um, and it also actually comes with a, there's a devotional that coincides with it. It's by a guy named Marty Machowski. Uh, I'm gonna put some of that information online through, uh, if you go to Harvest's website and click the kids link, there'll be uh, some information on there about what the exact curriculum we use and what these devotionals are um, and so that you know, and I'm also gonna put the schedule so you'll know if we're in lesson three this week, you can use this devotional and it has five devotionals for that week as well. Um, and then along the same lines with the devotional, um, every week, to coincide with, with the sermons that are being preached, except for in the DNA, because there hasn't really been a text. But once we're back into Romans or First Timothy or whatever we're in, there's gonna be a, there's a devotional that comes in the weekly email and also put online that coincides with the sermon that's gonna be preached that Sunday. So the hope would be that you'd spend one night that, the week prior to the sermon, um, walk through that with your family, get familiar with the text. Um, and so then after the sermon, you can then follow up and what they learn even more through, through the sermon that was preached. Um, and then also another resource that we have is a, there's a worship guide for kids that I think is in the back there. There might be some in the middle in the back that just sort of um, helps your child engage with the sermon. Um, I, I wrestled with, or I learned from a professor in seminary about doing something like this, rather than giving you a coloring sheet or just something that, just to take up time, that this will hopefully engage your child to listen. So it, it asks questions like, what was the missions moment about? What, what songs did we sing? How many times was the word Jesus used? Just things that help them be able to focus and engage with the sermon. So that's also a great resource um, for you to have. And then also the plan for elementary age is to do some events. Um, I'm looking at planning a, a kid's camp for some ages next summer, um, potentially doing like a Grizzlies night for father and sons or a, a day at Incredible Pizza, just different things that 
um, allow more than just kids to get together. Um, we want to do things that engage parents as well so that you might come to Incredible Pizza with your family even while the kids play, the parents get to know one another and talk and, and become friends. Um, so everything we want to do is the hope of being strategic and allow parents together, but also allowing kids to have fun and, and engage fun things. We want you to make sure, at least parents in the room, to know, and grandparents as well, we want to give you every resource we can to help you in the discipleship of your kids. We will do everything we can, whether it's an email to me or Kevin, phone call, if you need a book on something or you're struggling through something, don't hesitate to call. That's what we're here for. We want to give you every resource possible to help you in that process. Well, after they get through um, elementary school, they come finally to youth group. They're excited about it, and we've got two incredible men leading that charge. I'm so thankful that God has brought these two men. Uh, Joshua Chapman is our middle school director, and he's going to come up and share about what it looks like uh, to do middle school ministry. Joshua, let me just say this about Joshua. During the time that we were searching for a director of student ministries, this guy was it, and he did an incredible job of holding down the fort uh, while we were trying to get the processes in order. So I'm so thankful for him and uh, for his willingness to step in, and so uh, I, want, I wanted you to hear from him about what it looks like in middle school. All right. Good morning. Um, like you said, my name is Joshua Chapman, and for the middle school, we got a good three solid years with them, sixth, seventh, and eighth before they go to high school. And so it's in light of that that what we want to do is we just want to hit drive home three points. And those three points are understanding the gospel, identity, and community. We want our students to know, believe, trust, and love the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to know uh, that they need him and know why they need him. We want them to have a great understanding that, man, there is a perfect and holy God who loves them, who created them in his own image to love and serve and worship him, but sin separated them from him, and that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves by sending his son to suffer and die in our place for our sins and resurrect from the grave. And so we want them to know this. We want them to believe this. But we also want to equip them to share this with their teammates, their classmates, their friends, and their neighbors. So we're going to be very intentional in equipping them to share the gospel, challenging them to share the gospel. And also, like Kevin said, we want them to know that Christ is seen all throughout the Bible, that this book is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to equip them to study the Bible and know it for themselves and be able to share that with their friends. Secondly, identity. We know that middle school time, it is a pivotal, crucial age for the students. They're probably trying to figure out, like, man, who am I? Who am I going to be? Or what am I going to do? And, man, which crowd of friends am I going to be with? And so it is during that time that we're going to be extremely intentional in sharing with them all that God says about them. That, man, God says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you're forgiven, and if your faith is in the Lord Jesus, you are adopted into the family of God. We want our middle school students to see themselves how God sees themselves and to live in light of that, which would free them up to not try to do certain things to gain the approval of others, but, man, they would just be themselves and know that they are loved perfectly by the God of the universe because of what God has done for them through Jesus. And so we got understanding the gospel, 
We got identity. And last but certainly not least, we got community. Uh, we want our students to know that when God created them, he created them for relationships. Relationship to be in relationship with himself and also to be in relationship with others. And it's in light of being in those relationships that they would grow more in what it looks like to know Jesus and follow Jesus. They will be in this relationship and know that they aren't called or commanded to be Christians all by themselves. And so we're going to be very intentional with our leaders, trying to uh, get up with the students. We're going to be intentional with our students, trying to encourage them to be around each other. And the way we're going to do that is through youth group, Bible studies, and just different events that where our students would grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. They would uh, grow in learning to love one another, serve one another, and then uh, they would be examples of Christ in their schools, in their neighborhoods, to their friends, and the way we're going to do it, Pace is going to come up, and he's going to share more so on how we're going to do all of this. If you don't get excited after listening to him, you don't have a pulse. That's what I'm talking about. It's a perfect perfect for middle schoolers. Well, um, as I said before, we went through a process of, of praying and seeking God on who our next director of, our first director of student ministries was going to be, and uh, God brought us Pace McKee and his wife, Jen, and so we're really excited, so I wanted you to hear from Pace about our philosophy of student ministry. Thank you, Braxton. Uh, you know, when we got here, when Jen and I got here three weeks ago, uh, we just started to look around and we started to talk to people, and, and everyone just we just started to realize there was this great culture at Harvest Church. And when I think about our philosophy of student ministry at Harvest, I want that culture of Harvest Church to be a part of our student ministry. That we don't want our students to be set over on the sidelines and just set aside to watch all of us do church. But we want our students to engage in that. We don't want them to just sit on the sideline and watch us make disciples. We want our students to make disciples. And so when I think about our philosophy of student ministry, it has to focus around the same culture that we have at Harvest Church. What are students looking for in the church? I think they're looking for something of true meaning, of true value. And I think they find that meaning in their community with one another, just true, authentic community, and the example of Jesus Christ. When, uh, when I started student ministry a few years ago, I was lucky enough to meet all sorts of students from all sorts of backgrounds and, and grew up in all different ways and had different vantage points and uh, denominations and religions. And, and as I spoke with them and talked with them, I never met a student who ever left church, who ever walked out of church because the program wasn't creative enough, because the youth pastor wasn't funny enough, because the games weren't crazy enough or the pizza wasn't good enough, right? Students leave church, they walk out of church, they disengage when they feel like they don't belong. And so our philosophy at Harvest for Student Ministry is to create a place where they belong, where teenagers feel like they can come and they're surrounded by a group of their peers, where they're surrounded by community and we're all going in the same direction. When they, when they see people in, in the hallways of their schools who they also saw at church, 
who are going to love them, encourage them, spur them on towards love and good deeds. And so first and foremost, that's what we want out of our student ministry, to have a place where teenagers belong. And secondly, much like Braxton uh, was saying, we just want a place where they get the example of Jesus Christ. We want to build a student ministry where, where we come alongside you, the church, where we partner with, with you parents as you lead your child and grow them up and mature them in their faith. We want to join you in that, that walk and in that journey so that, so that our kids are, are growing up with a very well-rounded view of Christ, that they have a, a model and an example of Jesus Christ. They have someone to follow. I believe that students become what they look at the most. And so I wanna put forth the gospel. I wanna put forth the model and the example of Jesus Christ as much as we can, as much as we can so that they can become that. And so we're gonna set aside time every time that, that we do an event, every time we do a program to, to put Christ forward, to lift him high, to give them a model. We're gonna recruit great leaders, great adults who are, who are passionate about doing just that, about lifting Christ high, about discipling your students, that we could come alongside you and help grow and mature your student so that when they graduate high school, that they are equipped, that they're prepared for a lifetime of, of ministry to the lost and uh, just obedience to Christ. In our, all of our planning, we reverse engineered all of this. We started with college in mind. So we were on the staff retreat and we were doing all our fall planning and all of our planning for the year. The, the first question that I asked our staff was to the guy that's about to talk to you next is Robbie Flack. Robbie is our, our college director and college uh, pastor. And so I said to Robbie, the first question he'll tell you was, what are you seeing in college students and how do we need to plan accordingly? So Robbie's gonna share about college. Yeah, you kind of put me on the spot. That was my very first day on staff. Uh, like you said, my name is Robbie Flack. I've just been here about a month. Uh, it's great to be here at Harvest. This is an, an awesome place, an awesome church. And uh, I'm excited for uh, the college ministry here. Uh, as you've seen from Jesus, as you've heard here, you know, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And I think you see that, you don't see that anywhere more clearly than on the college campus today. Uh, as you know, and students on the college campus are just getting all sorts of junk thrown at them uh, from all different directions. And, and for a lot of times, it's the first time you've had a lot of freedom. You know, as a student, you're out on your own. And so uh, the reason I love the college campus is because I get to, to walk with students and to help them think, okay, in the midst of everything that college is throwing at me, how do I walk with Jesus? How do I live as a disciple of, of Christ? And how do I engage the culture around me? And so that's our hope here for uh, students here at Harvest is, is that one, that you would um, learn to, to be a disciple of Jesus uh, and walk on campus um, with him, with others around you. Uh, and then two, just to engage the culture. You know, uh, we're gonna do that through one-to-one uh, -one discipling relationships, through small groups. And hopefully it's a little bit like in football. You know, you get together, the quarterback calls the play, ready break, and you go out and you actually run the play that's been called. Um, is that we would train students how to go out and actually engage the culture so that, you know, after four, five, maybe six years later, you know, what college uh, is kind of a launching pad into the world and so uh, that you'd be ready to go out and to engage the culture for the rest of your life, to be 
a disciple maker for the rest of your life. So that's our hope here. Uh, the first thing we're going to do to, to kick this off, if there are any college students here, which uh, if you are, I'm actually very proud of you. Uh, if you would have given me a choice between the 9 o'clock and the 1045 in college, I would not be here. Uh, but if you are here, we have a, a lunch after this uh, second service, so uh, a little after 12. If you do want to come back for that, we're going to cater in some barbecue and talk more about what college ministry is going to look like uh, this year, this semester here at Harvest. So that is our vision, our DNA from uh, birth all the way through college. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I just noticed it. We have a college pastor with a Kansas State belt on. Well, that's a problem because you're in Memphis. No, I'm kidding. We're really excited. If you're, if you're not excited, I, I just... I. I could not be more fired up to have this group of people here leading us. And it is a great team. I call them the dream team. There's nobody better in doing this. And I wanted you to hear from them. And if you've got specific questions, you can always find me. But you can go to each one of those individuals uh, to learn how to do that. I'm, let me pray for us, and then Kenan's going to come up and close. God, thank you uh, for this day. I thank you for uh, the calling to remind this next generation of who you are and what you've done. I pray that we don't take that lightly. God, that we would um, take the initiative to step up and step in and remind this generation daily, not only through our words, but through our actions about who you are, what you've done. And I pray that we take uh, that challenge on collectively as a body of believers here at Harvest, that we can uh, collectively pour into this next generation so that they know clearly who you are. And their response will be to put their hope and faith and trust in you and love you so that they can be sent out to make disciples of all nations. God, we love you and praise you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Braxton. Hey, I hope you're feeling two things right now. Number one, I hope you are feeling extremely grateful, especially if you're a member of this church, just that the team, the dream team, as Braxton says, that God has assembled to help equip us. Now, I hope y'all heard Braxton say over and over and over, corporate responsibility. Did y'all catch that? It was a lot of, I mean, he kept saying it. I, I don't know the, whether we hear that or not naturally, but he kept saying that this is our responsibility and the staff is to do what the staff is to do in scripture, to equip the body for the work of the ministry. We have an unbelievable team of equippers. Uh, I'm, I'm with Brad, I can't imagine a better team in the, in the country of equipping. We are so blessed. But I hope the second question you're asking is, okay, uh, what can I do? Because that's the whole idea. And uh, you know, I think about what a, what a powerful illustration, that handoff, we don't wanna wait till it's too late. Uh, I looked around this room while Braxton was speaking. There are many of you guys that are not in the season specifically of having young children or students that are gonna be just really under the hands-on influence of these leaders. Um, there are many of you that might be sitting here thinking, man, this was one of those Sundays that's kind of for everybody else. And I wanna just challenge that in our last two minutes here before we come to communion, say this one was for all of us. The reason we took a whole DNA to talk about what's going on from um, the, the birth through college is because we all play a role in handing off the baton. And uh, I just wanna give you a specific challenge. So this is to everybody, not just to those with children, to every single one of, one of us. I would like us all to find a way we can serve with birth through college, everybody. And, and let me tell you, if you feel like you have a specific giftedness or calling or you really wanna jump in there with the middle schoolers and be a D group leader or the high schoolers or the college students or whatever, have at it, find one of those leaders. If you're going, I have no idea, that, that's not me at all, don't feel like that's my strength, we wanna play to our strengths, I think we have plenty of them in our body to do just that. 
if you're going, I, I, I don't know that I'm gonna be that relatable to those guys, gals, I don't know that would be the best use of my skill set or resources or time, energy. Uh, here's what I, I know that we could use you for today, and, uh, and that's the man behind the email, that's Kevin. Every week, our, our kind of tyranny of the urgent for the first almost two years of our church has been midweek, we're sending out an email saying we still need about 20 volunteers to come be a part of what's going on at Harvest Kids this Sunday. Week to week, we do it. Then, it, you know, 10 on the weekend, five or whatever it is, and Kevin just stays persistent. You guys always respond. It's a beautiful thing the way we've never gone a Sunday without enough leaders. But let me, let me just say something. We have teachers in every one of the classes. I think we could use one more teacher that wants to teach fourth and fifth grade Sunday school. That'd be a big commitment. That'd be like you're there every week as the fourth, fifth grade Sunday school teacher just as you may have grown up in a church where that teacher might have been the one that stamped the gospel onto your life, we need somebody that feels like, I would love to take that on. That's a big one, that's a big one. Uh, we have teachers in every other class that are doing just that, praise be to God, it's unbelievable, our teachers. But you know what we desperately need? We need folks who will be back there to smile, to love on, to pat on the back, to pick up afterwards, to set up before, to move chairs, to encourage kids to engage, just to be helpers. We kind of have teachers and helpers. We need a slew of helpers. And what our youth ministry team is committed, students, uh, kids ministry is um, communicated to me is that the best way we could do that, because the kids, it's great if they kind of see the same faces somewhat consistently. The best way to do it would be that you take like a, like if you're here at nine, so probably the 1045 hour, you could take first week, second week, third week, or fourth week of the month, and you would say, hey, for third week, 1045, I will go and I will serve with the, toddlers. I think we have 21 to 27 months. We have different categories. They're on posters on that back wall. We have specific blanks. What that would mean was uh, the third, if I just said third week, the third week of every month in this fall, September, October, November, December, four days, because there's a third week's going to come around once in each month. Four days, you, after service ends, you would go and you'd give about an hour and 20 minutes to loving on the students, the kids in that room as a help to the teacher. I think everybody can do that, amen? That's where you are supposed to come out of your seat just salivating to charge the battlefield. But I'm serious, you may have a, I mean, I really feel led to get involved with college ministry, see Robbie. If you're out there going, I don't know, or maybe I'm already on another team, or I'm already vested somewhere, I'm already leading a discipleship community, something like that, then take one of these blanks, and once a month for an hour and 20 minutes, be a helper. I would love it if the emails for this fall, we do not, we do not need to send another email this fall midweek saying, please come serve with our kids. I feel like if we do that, then we all slept through this morning. I, I really feel that. I feel like we're missing it as a body. Like this, the next generation is our chance to be involved. And I pray that we will be a body that engages that as one of our greatest privileges. And let me just finish with one more thing. And I really wanted to kind of build this part up and illustrate it, but I don't have any time. Um, here's the last thing I wanna say. I think conventional wisdom would say, if you have a child Back there, you should, you ought to, you need to serve some of the time. Isn't that conventional wisdom? I don't think that's foolish. I don't think that's stupid. I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's sinful. But let me say this. It doesn't feel like family to me. Um, in our home, that's not how we do things. That might be how your business does it. Your organizational might be a policy in your organizational manual. But the church is a family. And let me just say something. I've, uh, I never appreciated this as a kid. I wish I had. I've gone back and thanked my mom countless times. Didn't appreciate it then, but I appreciate it now. When I watch my wife and how she gives of herself, it's a 24-7 job that she has. 
People come up and tell me all the time, we can't believe how you do what you do. Let me tell you, I'm far more impressed with my wife and what she does than what I do. And, and it's not even close. And, and I, I've got this just, just conviction inside that as a church family, we've got an opportunity to gift our young moms. If, and, and when I say young mom, I, I mean mom, if you've got kids that are, all your kids are first grade and under, especially, then I just wanna say, I know the emotional exhaustion of the rest of your week. And I would love as a body that we gift the young mothers with Sunday morning to just be here and not have to watch not only their kids, but everybody else's kids. It doesn't make any sense to me. Now, by the way, a lot of young mothers, you love it. You, you wanna see your child interact, you wanna be there, you wanna see those things, you don't wanna miss those memories, and that's what energizes you. If that's you, please continue. You're helping, you're serving, we want you there if it energizes you. But many of those young moms, I just wanna be able to say, we're not asking you to do this. You wanna do it, have at it. We're not asking you. We're gonna ask everyone else in our body to do it. We're gonna ask the, um, if, you're, if you've raised kids past, all, all your kids are past first grade, you're empty nesting, you're grandparenting, y'all are, are the seasoned veterans. You've been there, done that. A, you know what you're doing. B, you remember what it was to be there and desperately need a break on Sunday morning. So please take a Sunday, one Sunday a month. And then let me speak to the young peeps real quick. If, you, if you're not there yet, um, you know, you might one day be a, a dad. You might one day be a mom. I can't imagine any better way we could equip you. I could do a whole sermon series. Wouldn't touch you going back there one Sunday a month and going, oh my goodness, this is what it's like. I better start praying, okay? I, and I, but I am dead serious. Please, please, if you've passed that season, if you're hoping for that season, expecting or not yet there, please take a blank. I do not think our young moms should need to sign up to watch kids. I think this is the time they get a cup of coffee, they hold their husband's hand, they are washed and marinated in the gospel and refueled for the next six and a half days where they're on 24-7. Y'all with me? Can we do that? Somebody say yes. Yes, we can do that. Let's do this, amen, okay. Okay, the blanks are on the walls. We have 93 blanks. That's 93 people that need to say, I'll take one Sunday a month for the next four uh, months, and during one of those hours, you'll give your time. It's incredibly clear, even I read it and understood it, so you'll see it when you go back there. Let's engage, we're all in on this deal. Father, I pray that we would be a church that values our kids and our students and our collegiates so much that we have something inside of us that says, I want to serve there. I want to help. I want to be a part of passing the baton. I don't understand the statistics, Lord. I don't understand why so many are leaving the church having grown up in the church. I don't get it. But one thing I feel is that somehow we're not together ministering as a body to these students. We're not together exemplifying the contagious love of Christ from a people who've first been loved. Somehow we're not making that tangible and we're not doing it together. So I pray here at Harvest we would do those things and we would take great joy in it. Lord, I pray that you would raise up children here that love you with their whole heart, their whole mind, all their soul, all their strength, and that we may be a part of passing that baton. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.